Pastor Dave mentioned, my name is Dave Bremer, and it's a privilege to be with you all today. And uh, just as one member of this great body, to just share what we what we have with each other. So that's my goal for today. We're going to do something kind of unusual today. We're going to kind of conclude the series we've been going on called Bright Light, but we're going to do a little kind of a Bible study together. Um, anybody ready for Bible study? So we're going to dig in and find a couple of nuances, a couple of details, a couple of special points in God's word that help us understand the richness, the, the beauty, the depth, the transforming power of the message that he gives us in the word. So buckle up, okay? We're going to move fast, but I think we can all stay with it. I think it's going to be good. So next. So we're going to go through this passage one more time. I hope you're not feeling like we're belaboring this, but this is a really deep passage, so we're just going to read through this one more time together, and then we're going to get out our shovels, and we're going to start digging together. So let's just read this together. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. He came as a witness to bear witness about the light that all might believe through him. He was not the light, but he came to bear witness about the light. The true light, which enlightens everyone, was coming into the world. He was in the world, but the world did not know him. He came to his own, but his own people did not receive him. But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor the will of man, but of God. Let's pray. Father, thank you that we can come before you and know that you sent your son Jesus to be that final sacrifice the one who opens the door to heaven for us so that we can be adopted and become children of God, that we can be a part of your family now and forever, that we can be forgiven and restored to righteousness, that we can have hope and life and peace and joy, all your amazing blessings. So Lord, I just pray this morning as we take a tiny dip into the depths of your word, that you'd reveal just how amazing your message is, how wonderful and life-transforming your power is in each one of us as we just simply submit to you, as we simply say yes to you. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Okay, so we just read that passage together. Great stuff, right? Lots of great content. So how do we dig into this a little bit more? Well, there are lots of ways. There's, you know, there's really, God doesn't say you must study the Bible this way. We're going to just try one thing this morning, and if you like it, great. If you don't, tell me afterward, and we'll do something different next time. But uh, we're going to actually start looking for key words and key phrases in this passage, and we're going to take it from there. So next slide. 
Okay, I'm sorry. If this is like bold, obnoxious, I'm sorry. I'm an engineer, I'm not an aesthetics guy. My wife, Dela, could probably help me with this, but anyway, so I color-coded things in different colors. So, I, and I look for things that are kind of repeating themes or important things that just look important. So as we look at this, I see in the beginning occurs twice, and it occurs at the beginning of the book of John, so that's kind of interesting. And then, of course, thinking back in the Bible, where else do we see those words? Anybody else have an idea? Where do we see the words in the beginning? In Genesis, yeah, exactly. So that's not without a reason. God put that there for a reason. So this is where you and I can put on our thinking caps, our theological caps. You know, theology is just the study of God, and it's a great thing. It's not a hard thing. It's easy. People make it sound really easy, really hard. It's not. It's easy. So put on your thinking caps and say, aha, Genesis. So we can think about that a minute. In Genesis, God says, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Hmm, Okay. Let's hang on to that. The word, the word occurs three times right there at the very beginning of the passage. That's probably important too. Let's hang on to that idea. We see that the word was with God and the word was God. Whoa. When I think of a word, I think of something written or something spoken. How can a word be God? How can a word be with God? Wow, okay, that's cool. Let's think about that a little bit. All things were made through him. Not anything was made that was made three times. So that's important too. And that ties back to Genesis 2, doesn't it? Because we see in the beginning, God created. Okay, here's one more little tidbit that might be kind of fun for you. Or maybe I'm just a geek and it's fun for me. But we see here that the word was with God and the word was God. We see a little bit later in this passage that this is Jesus. Jesus with God the Father. And Jesus is God. We also see in Genesis, in Genesis chapter one, that God, Elohim, created everything. God, Elohim, plural, created singular. Hmm, I wonder if there's something about this Trinity thing. Maybe this is actually true. Maybe there are three, three persons, one God. Hmm, kind of cool. Okay, let's move on to the next slide. In him, in Jesus, was life. And the life was the light of men. We see life twice. Maybe that's important. Let's take note of that. We see light two times again. That's, and light is going to keep coming up, so we're going to make note of that. And darkness. Of course, light and darkness are very contrasting, aren't they? And that again goes back to Genesis. God spoke. He created light. He created life. Hmm. Kind of cool. Isn't it great the way God's word, though it was written over thousands of years by a whole bunch of authors, it all works together. It's a cogent, consistent, trustworthy message. There's nothing about God's word that's kind of fuzzy, hazy. If we take the time, if we kind of meditate on it and stew on it and savor it, it starts tasting pretty good, doesn't it? Because God spoke it, it's real, it's true. So we're going to keep track of those words and come back to those later. Uh, next slide. Okay, so we're changing direction here. There was a man sent from God. This man is John. So this is John who? John the Baptist, yeah. So John the Baptist is a witness to bear witness. Okay, so this witnessing thing is kind of important. Hmm, let's hang on to that. And he's bears witness about the light. 
So John is one of those guys, he's always pointing to Jesus, isn't he? He never says, I'm John the Baptist, listen to me. He's always like, there's someone coming after me whose thongs of his sandals I'm not worthy to untie. John is so cool that way. He's always about Jesus. I wish I was more like John. And again, John was not the light. He came only to bear witness about the light. Okay, next. The true light. Okay, so there is light. Okay, um, my wife Dale and I like to go camping. And so this is a nice little camping light. It's, it's pretty bright. That's kind of bright. That's kind of cool. But this is not the true light. This is like going out maybe like two feet. <laughs> Think about how bright God's light is. God created light, and he is light. Jesus is the light. He, when he shines, he shines. He, he explodes. Uh, when, when, the world was, when the universe was created, he spoke it into existence, and everything came to be. It's amazing that God is the light. He creates light. He is the true light. He enlightens everyone. Not, he's not meant to just lighten a few of us. This message is for everyone. He was in the world, but his world did not receive him. Receive, that's an important word. Let's come back to that later. Okay, next. But to all who did receive him, so this is a, a really critical thing, this receiving. It seems like there's a a transition, a turning point that happens with receiving. So let's focus on that. And believing, that's an important word. Children of God. I, I don't know about you, but I was raised in the church. Did you kind of, were you, how many of you were raised in the church? A lot of you? Doesn't it kind of feel like it's just the thing you do sometimes? It's like, I'm a churchgoer. I'm, I'm a Christian, quote unquote, because I, I hang out at church a lot. But you and I are meant to be children of God, adopted into his family. Okay, let's hang on to that thought. And this idea of being born. Anybody ever heard of being born again before? This is kind of the same idea. You can be born of God. That's how you become a child of God. So that's important. Okay, and one more slide next. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us. Dwelt. That's one of those words that's very easy to just kind of blow by. It's kind of like, yeah, I, I, live, I live in Syracuse. You, know, you live in Milford, you live in New Paris, Napanee, wherever. It doesn't seem very important, does it? Like I could live in Syracuse and move to Warsaw, whatever. It's just a house, right? Well, this word, literally, if you look at it in Greek, it means to pitch your tent or to tabernacle. So we're gonna dig into that word in a little bit. That's gonna be a fun experience, I trust. And then glory. That's another one of those words that we kind of overlook a little bit sometimes. Glory is an amazing thing. The glory of God. Okay, so next slide. So let's just start by, you know, we haven't studied in depth much yet, but let's just kind of write down what we've learned so far, kind of on the surface level. And this is fine. We don't, we don't, we're not going to be perfect theologians yet. We haven't dug into it, God's word yet, but from what we've seen so far, we know that Jesus, he's God, he's the word, he's the creator, he's the light. He comes to earth, he comes as a child to rescue us, to adopt us, to be his children, and to dwell with us as his people. So that's not a comprehensive statement, but that's, I'm trying to just kind of a little, have a little summary of what we've read on those first 14 verses. Any heresy there so far? Look okay? It's not perfect, I know, but it's a, it's a 
starting point. So what does this really mean? Okay, I can say those words, just like as a kid I learned some creeds. You ever heard of like the creeds, like the Nicene Creed or the Apostles' Creed, or, or sometimes people talk about, um, you know, the, great, the main purpose of man is to know God and enjoy him forever. These are all great statements. They mean a lot. But if we don't really chew on them, meditate on them, understand them, they don't really change us, do they? So let's process this statement with these extra word studies we're going to do, and we're going to find a little bit richer depth, I trust. So next slide. Okay, so here's a summary of all the words that we highlighted. In the beginning, word, God, made, life, light, darkness, witness, receive, believe, children of God, glory, and dwell. So um, Pastor Dave is going to order us 100 boxes of pizza, and we'll be here till about 8 o'clock tonight. <laughs> and we're just going to dig into all these words, okay? Sound good? Nobody's got any plans, right? We're, we're fine with that. No. And this is one of the great things about studying God's word is you don't have to feel like you have to like, do everything. God loves it when we seek him with all of our heart, but that doesn't mean you have to be like obsessed. <laughs> Let's just dig into what we have time to do. Let's, let's start. Let's take our first step into God's word. So next slide. We're just going to look at four words. Whew. Okay, not eight o'clock tonight. We're just going to look a little bit at light, not comprehensively, but a little bit at light, at darkness, at glory, and this word dwelt. And as I mentioned, it literally means God pitched his tent among us. Okay, next. Okay, when I think of pitching a tent, I'm a camper. Dale and I are campers. We're hikers. At least when, we, when all of our joints move well, we're campers and hikers. Um, we lived in California for a few years, and it was just amazing to go up into the Sierra and camp at like 8,000 8 or 9,000 feet and be up there in God's beautiful wilderness. The stars were just so intensely bright up there at the higher elevations, and just so crisp and clean and clear and beautiful hike around in those lakes and mountaintops, boulders and everything. So this first picture here on the left, that's actually a scene from uh, Grand Teton National Park in Wyoming. So if I wanted God to pitch a tent with me, I'm on that program. Let's go pitch a tent with Jesus in the, in the Rockies. Let's go hang out together. Sounds good, and probably God would be okay with that. Or does pitching a tent mean what that lower picture means? That's a, a picture of homeless people camping underneath the, subway, underneath the freeway bridge in Ventura, California, near Los Angeles. I mean, those are both very real situations, aren't they? And actually, Jesus is not afraid of either of those situations. He reaches out to all of us wherever we are. So maybe pitching his tent among us means he's willing to have his tent wherever we are. That's an interesting thought. I'm not sure it's what this word means in this context, though. But it is a, a true principle, isn't it? Okay, next slide. Maybe pitching his tent is a reference to Jesus being very humble and being born meekly as a baby in a, a manger, lying in that straw in the middle of the, of the animals there in the stable or in the cave where he was born, maybe. That's actually a cave in Israel. I wonder if that's what it could be. No, probably not. But it's an interesting thought. It's okay to sort of brainstorm, isn't it? Just to kind of think, what is God talking about? So we're, we're doing that. Okay, next slide. Well, 
when you want to, when you want to understand somebody, it's probably a good idea to read more than just like a little section of whatever they've written in their whole life. If you want to understand Abraham Lincoln, you probably ought to read more than just one of his speeches, like read, read all of them so you understand his heart. How much more is that true of God? You know, he gives us his word written over thousands of years by multiple authors, 66? No, 66 books. Sorry, anyway. Um, we have this comprehensive word of God that speaks cogently on all kinds of topics through time, and it's a progressive revelation where God reveals more and more and more of himself over time. So if we go back, we can see what God started to say, and we can see how God built on it so we can understand better what it means for us today. So we're going to do that. So let's go back to the book of Exodus, the second book of the Bible. So if you have your Bible with you, I really like the sound of those pages turning. That's kind of a cool sound. It kind of sounds like you're all digging into the word with me. Um, or if you have your device, your phone, whatever, you can always use that too, whatever you got. Or you can steal your neighbor's Bible if they're not using it. That works. So let's look at what's happening in Exodus 3. We're kind of focusing on the light, God being the light. So next slide. Okay, that's kind of dramatic. Of course, that's an illustration, and it's probably not how it really happened. But it's okay to have illustrations. I know when we're kids, a lot of times, we, we think it's okay to have like children's books that have like illustrations. Sometimes for adults, even we can handle this stuff, can't we? It kind of reminds us of something. So this picture reminds me of the fact that this burning bush was pretty amazing. So let, let's just look at a little bit at the context here. So Moses was an Israelite living in Egypt. He killed an Egyptian, and he ran away. He was an outcast. He probably thought his life was over at this point. He was kind of a nobody. He was like a, a wanted you know, criminal. And God reaches down to him there in, the, in Midian in the middle of nowhere and appears to him and appoints him with the special task of rescuing his people, rescuing his people from Egypt and lead them to the promised land. And how does God do it? Does God just tap him on the shoulder and, one day and say, hey, Moses, let's go? No, God reveals himself to Moses. Isn't that pretty cool? God reveals himself personally to Moses in his power and his glory. So next slide. So here's a, just a very small section of that passage. Now Moses came to Horeb, to the mountain of God, and we don't even know why he went there. Maybe he was just going there looking for some sheep that were, had run away, or maybe he really was looking for the Lord. We don't know. And the angel of the Lord, who we know from the context of the Bible, is probably Jesus, is probably God, appeared to him in a flame of fire out of the midst of a bush. He looked, and behold, the bush was burning, yet it was not consumed. That's crazy, isn't it? You know, my wife and I like to have fires in our fireplace. Anybody else have a fireplace? Yeah, it's a, it's a pretty cool thing. And guess what? If, if my wife or I start a fire, we need to keep adding stuff to it so it keeps burning, or otherwise it burns out. This bush never burned out. God called to him out of the bush, Moses, Moses, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham. I'm sure Moses at that point was just like, whoa, I, am, I, I can't handle this. He probably fell to his knees immediately at that point, and he just was confused. Because you're living your life, you're trudging through life as a man who is a murderer, 
who's resigned himself to just leading sheep around through scrub brush and, and really arid lands, trying to just keep the sheep alive, and all of a sudden God appears to you. And God appears to him in light, in fire, in glory. Those, those words are important to think about. Okay, next. So a little bit later in that passage, in verses 13 and 14, it says, Moses said to God, if I come to the people of Israel, if I follow your call and go back to, to Egypt and try to rescue your people, if I say to those people, the God of your fathers has sent me to you, and they ask me, what is his name? Fair question. What shall I say to them? God said to Moses, I am who I am. And he said, say this to the people of Israel, I am has sent me to you. This is the pre-existent, eternal God of the universe saying, I'm going to give you a name for myself, and the name I'm going to give you is I am. It's, it's, it's amazing. In all the religions of the world, you have a God figure, or at least or some sort of power or um, idea, concept, but it's never personal. God, the true God, is personal, and he reveals himself personally. Okay, so next. So let's modify our summary statement. Let's include this personal characteristics of God. So before we just said Jesus was God and creator and word, now we're going to insert personal into that description because we're learning, right? Okay, next. So let's move on a little bit. Let's go to Exodus 13. What's happening in Exodus 13? Helps if I remember what's happening in Exodus 13. Exodus 13, 21 and 22. Okay, next. So we were just talking about God appearing to Moses in that fiery burning bush. Well, guess what God does when he's leading his people out of Egypt, across the Red Sea, through the wilderness, that Sinai Peninsula, that whole crazy area of almost nothing, no water, no food, takes him to the promised land. What does God do? Does God say, good luck, uh, go that direction, I'll see you when you get there. That's not, that's most definitely not what happens. God is a personal God, a God of glory, but he's also a relational God who wants to be with us. So I love this movie, the old uh, Ten Commandments movie. Anybody else seen it before? It's not perfect. It's Hollywood. I mean, Charlton Heston's all acting all great, and he, th he thinks he's all that. But the real hero of the movie is God, not Charlton Heston, Okay. And I love this description, this photo, this picture from the movie, because it shows God being the focus. And God appears as this pillar of fire. He's a pillar of fire at night. He's a pillar of cloud during the day. You know, during the day, we don't need fire, do we? I mean, there's, there's light. But God's presence was with them as a cloud during the day and with them as a pillar of fire at night. And when God moved, let, let's just say that this is the pillar of fire, or this is the pillar of fire, let's say. Well, whatever, whatever direction we go. But we follow him when he leads. If God says go, we go. If God says stop, we stop, we wait. Because God's good. He's in control. He's loving. He's with us. He likes to lead us and guide us. So when the pillar goes, we go. When the pillar stops, we stop. Pretty simple, right? Okay, next slide. The Lord went before them by day in a pillar of cloud to lead them along the way. 
and by night in a pillar of fire to give them light, that they might travel by day and by night. The pillar of cloud by day and the pillar of fire by night did not depart from before the people, did not depart ever. God never got tired. God never said, I'm going to take a break. I'm kind of busy right now. Those people don't need my help. Those people have been sinning a lot. I'm kind of tired of them. He never said that. The pillar of fire stayed. The pillar of cloud stayed. God was with his people. He kept leading them. Okay, next. So let's modify our statement again a little bit and just make it a little bit more comprehensive. So let's say that God likes to adopt, dwell with, and lead his people. Because that's true, isn't it? He likes to lead us. He likes us to follow him like, like his sheep because he's the good shepherd. Okay, next. Okay, let's go to the book of Leviticus. Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus. So we've moved one more book into the Bible. And we're going to look at just two small sections. There's so much here in God's word we could look at. But we're just kind of taking our little spade. We're not our little hand shovel. We're not getting real deep, but we're trying. So let's start with Exodus, uh, Leviticus 9, verses 23 and 24. Okay, next. So before we read the passage, this is talking about the tabernacle. So when God appeared in that pillar of fire and that pillar of cloud, that wasn't it. God also gave instructions to build a traveling tent, to build a structure that they could keep tearing down and re re reconstructing in the next spot that he led them to. And this was the place where God met with his people. So if we look at this uh, diagram here, you can see there's a, this section here. This is called the most holy place or the holy of holies. It was about 15 feet by 15 feet. And that's where the Ark of the Covenant resided. And the Bible says that God's glory resides there above the cherubim at the Ark of the Covenant. So that is the place of God's presence on earth. Kind of cool, huh? You think of the God of the universe who created everything, billions and billions and billions of light years um, in size, he wanted to come down here with us and be with us in a special place. And then this area over here is the holy place. And you can see there's a lampstand and the showbread and, and some other things. So this was a portable structure with like four layers of skins and cloth over the top. And they just pull up the stakes and then move on. And whenever God would take them to the next stop along their journey, they'd reconstruct it again. Kind of cool. Not real fancy, right? I mean, when you're thinking about hiking through the desert, that's a lot of work. But it wasn't like some magnificent gold palace or anything. It was, it was a portable tent. So next. So this next slide shows the bigger picture. So you see the tent of God's presence inside these walls, these uh, you know, fabric and post walls. And there are two other things in here. There's a a basin here where the priest could wash. Because guess what? There's lots of blood. It's kind of nice to be clean after you like kill animals. I, I kind of wouldn't want the blood to stay on me all, all the time. And then this is the, the altar where the sacrifices were made. And sacrifice was a big part of this system. The Bible says that without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness of sin. So when you and I sin, when we violate God's law, God just doesn't look away or say, oh, no problem, it's no big deal, I love you anyway. 
He does love us anyway, but there must be a sacrifice to cover that sin, to pay the price for that sin. So that's where the animals were sacrificed, to pay that price. Okay, next. So if we read Leviticus 9 first, verses 23 and 24. The glory of the Lord appeared to all the people, and fire came out from before the Lord and consumed the burnt offering and the pieces of fat on the altar. And when all the people saw it, they shouted and fell on their faces. Okay, so this is saying that the presence of God, can we go back to the previous slide? So the presence of God, which came from heaven, was residing here in the Holy of Holies. It's like the, the power of God, the glory of God, the, the, we don't know, the flames shot out of here and consumed the offering that was there on the altar. Now, I don't know about you, but uh, I like to barbecue. Anybody else barbecue? Like to fire up your grill? Do you have like a charcoal grill, a gas grill? You know, what do you do? I have a tendency every once in a while to make a burnt offering, but it's an accident. You know, if I, if I like leave it on there too long, my, uh, my steak goes from medium rare to rare to, rare, medium rare to well done to toss it in the bin. Um, now, isn't it amazing that God would just have this fire that would consume the burnt offering? I wonder how hot that had to be. Because I can make something turn into like black charcoal, but I can't make something hot enough to consume it. That's just another example of how God's power is amazing. You know, this, this, these flames shot out of the Holy of Holies and consumed the offering. Okay, so let's move ahead again, back to the next slide. Okay, so this is interesting. This is kind of a little twist, because this is something that I hadn't really thought about much until I was digging into this passage to talk to you guys today. God told the priests of Israel, the people who took care of the, the temple, who did all the priestly rituals around the temple, he told them that fire shall be kept burning on the altar continually. It shall not go out. Isn't it interesting that God consumed the offering, God started the fire, but then God also says, hey, you guys, you know, let's keep that fire going. I wonder why God did that. You know, I tend to be one of those kind of mountaintop guys where I'm looking for that next mountaintop experience. You ever heard of a mountaintop experience where it's just like you and God are just like, you're having a great time. You're, maybe you're on a retreat or something or you're hiking in the mountains or doing whatever it is that, that revives you, that restores your soul. And that experience, you and God are just like this. You're just, that's like the best experience and you want to hang on to that. But guess what? Life happens. And all of a sudden, you're like going to work and doing laundry and throwing away the trash and chasing after other things, chasing success, sinning. You know, lots of things can happen in life, right? And all of a sudden, we forget that mountaintop experience. Well, God wants us to participate as we follow him. So God basically says, hey, guys, keep the fire burning. Let's, let's keep this going. Keep making sacrifices. Keep offering things to me. Remember, 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 remember that I'm still God. I'm still here with you. I still love you. I'm still leading you. Keep tracking with me. God's basically saying, keep tracking with me. Keep making these sacrifices. Keep enjoying my presence. Kind of cool, huh? Okay, next. Okay, so now we're advancing a little bit further into the Bible. And now we're reaching the point where 
Israel has moved into the promised land. There's been the period of the judges. And now we're moving into the kings of Israel. And then there's about to be a divide between the northern kingdom of Israel and the southern kingdom of Judah. But of course, David is the man after God's own heart. And David's desire is to build God a house. Why did God want to build David? Why did David want to build God a house? Because David knew he had a house. And he was thinking, okay, I have this nice house, this nice palace. I live really comfortably and I have all this stuff. And the God who I love, the God who I serve, is still in a tent. That's kind of crazy. If I really love God, I want to build him a, a really nice house for him to have his, as his dwelling. And that was a really noble idea. But God said, no. David, you can go ahead and gather all the materials. You can get all the cedars, cedar logs from Lebanon and all the supplies, all the gold and everything. But your son Solomon is going to build a temple. So that happened. David collected all the materials. Solomon was young. He was a brand new leader. He was still seeking God at this point. So he builds the temple. And let's go look at this picture. So it's a, a much more grand structure, isn't it? You see all the different gold stuff inside. Um, it's huge. It's really tall. It's probably the biggest building that anybody had ever seen at that time. Grand edifice. The whole area around it was probably about 17 acres in size. So they went from having you know, like this little tent and this little um, fenced-in area to having a whole temple mount palace where God's presence would dwell. So let's read what happens. Next slide. So Solomon prays this prayer of dedication to the Lord in front of all the people. He's being a great leader. He's basically declaring to the people that he loves God, and he's inviting them to all love and follow God too. And this is what Solomon says. He says, if they, your people, sin against you, for there is none who does not sin, if they repent, then hear from heaven, your dwelling place, hear their prayer and hear their plea and maintain their cause and forgive your people. And he's basically saying, please, Lord, please keep forgiving us because we have no hope without your forgiveness. As soon as Solomon finished praying this prayer, fire came down from heaven and consumed the burnt offering and the sacrifices and the glory of the Lord filled the temple. So let's go back to the previous slide again. So fire came down from heaven, consumed the burnt offering, and again, I mean consume, like it's not there anymore. It's gone. God just like vaporized it. And then the glory of the Lord filled the temple. So what do you think the people thought at that point? Were they thinking, I'm not so sure I believe in, in God. He's, he doesn't really exist. Is that what they're thinking? Not a chance. They're all like, wow, God really, really, really is God. I'm on this program. Um, I'm following Jesus. I'm following the Lord with all my heart. That is a mountaintop experience, right? That is like the king of mountaintop experiences. So this is still, we're about halfway through the Old Testament now. We're in the reign of, of Solomon. Do things always continue on at this, this high point? Do people stay tracking the Lord? I think you know the answer to that, but no, they don't. Um, okay, let's advance two slides, one more. So let's, now that we've looked at uh, this whole temple situation with the, the tent, with uh, Jesus pitching his tent among us, tabernacling with us, being in the tabernacle or the temple. So his presence is with us in this, this building, this structure on earth. So let's add that to our summary statement. Jesus is our personal God, creator, word, and light. 
He comes to rescue, adopt, dwell with, and lead us. And we are the people who repent of our sin, offer sacrifices, and keep the fire of his holy presence burning. Probably not a perfect theological statement, but we're working on it. But we're trying to sort of synthesize, we're putting all this information together that we're learning from God's word as we let it sink into our hearts. We're putting it together and we're letting it seep into our hearts and our lives. Okay, next. So, okay, so now let's, let's skip over all, we don't have enough time to do a thorough study of everything, so we're gonna skip over a lot of the decline of Israel, the decline of Judah, and those sad years, and we're gonna move ahead to Jesus being at the temple. So this is John 8, next slide. So we moved from God dwelling in this tabernacle, this portable tent structure, to Solomon and David's temple, which looked like this. And this is the temple as it looked about the time of Jesus. Okay, so let's talk about this temple a little bit. So uh, how many of you have heard of Herod? Herod was the leader at the time of Jesus. There were multiple Herods. And Herod the Great, he thought he was great. (laughs) Um, He was in control in those early years right up to the birth of Jesus. And about 20 BC, he decided he wanted to build a temple. Now, do you think he wanted to build a temple because his heart was like David? His heart was like Solomon, that he wanted to to love the Lord and serve the Lord and have people come to the Lord and follow him with all their hearts? No, not a chance. Herod was an Idumean. And if you look at that word, it looks a little bit like the word Edom. So he was a descendant of the people of Edom who lived south of Israel. They were some of the enemies of the Lord. Okay, so he's probably not like Mr. Uh, Mr. Faithful to the Lord, is he? He's, historically anyway, he comes from people that are opposed to the Lord. And also he's under Roman rule. Uh, the general Pompey had come into Israel and taken over that area for Rome. So Herod was a leader under Rome's control. So guess what? He's a politician. And he's trying to juggle priorities. He think, he's thinking, okay, I got to serve Rome, I got to raise money, I got to have taxes, I got to keep them happy, or they'll come out and take, you know, remove me from leadership. But he also has these Jewish people who want to have a Jewish legal system, a Jewish system that uh, allows them to seek the Lord on their, in their way. So he's a shrewd man. He says, let's build this temple. So guess how long it takes him to build this temple? He started in 20 BC. He died and through multiple generations of leaders, it was finally completed in 63 AD. So what's that, 83 years? This was a huge monumental undertaking. This temple structure was on a 37 acre piece of land as far as we can tell. This thing was huge, it was monstrous actually. And it was meant to be a place where the Jews could come and and continue to worship the Lord in the way that they thought was right but it was really meant to kind of control the people also because Herod wanted Rome's authority in place. He wanted Jewish people to like him and follow him and trust him. So guess what that means? Was God really excited about this temple? No, no. Someone was coming who was going to be the real temple and God is very much excited about Jesus. So let's go to the next slide. So Jesus is speaking, let's look at that last sentence, these words he spoke in the treasury as he taught in the temple. So go back one slide. So Jesus is here in this kind of 
colonnaded area probably. This was the treasury. So he's outside the main temple area. He's in the, the public area. And he is speaking to people saying, well, let, let's see what he says. He says, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. Are those words radical? If, if I walked to you and uh, if I walked up to Tom Spiker and said, hi, Tom, I'm the light of the world, what would you say to me? You'd, you'd say, Dave, you're, yeah, you're crazy, you're nuts, you're a lunatic or something. No, for a single person to walk up to people and just start talking and say that he is the light of the world, that's nuts. Unless Jesus is more than just a person. Jesus is God. Jesus is part of the Trinity. Jesus is basically saying that this whole temple system that's been built up over time, yeah, God's glory lives here. God's light historically has been here and, and this whole temple system has been in place to reveal God's glory to his people so he can be with his people. But guess what? It's me now. Jesus is saying, hey, look to me and find life with me. Okay, next slide. So let's revise our statement. Let's add a little bit more information. So we see that Jesus, he's the personal God, he's the creator, he's the word, he's the light. He comes to rescue, adopt, dwell, uh, sorry, dwell with and lead his people who repent of their sin, offer sacrifices, follow Jesus, and keep the fire of his holy presence burning. So he, he said in that previous passage that we were to follow him to find his light. So, okay, we've synthesized a little bit more. We've added more information. So wait a minute. Maybe something is wrong here. We added, but if Jesus really is the savior of the world, maybe something needs to change in this statement. Maybe something has gone away rather than something just needing to be added. Okay, next slide. Let's look at the book of Hebrews. Hebrews is a great, like one of the most unappreciated books of the Bible, I think. Um, so if we look at Hebrews chapter 10, near the end of your Bible, the book of Hebrews talks about how Jesus is the new height, the new priest, the new king. He's kind of a king in the order of Melchizedek, or a priest in the order of Melchizedek, so he's totally different than the high priestly system that was in the Old Testament. And if we read chapter 10, next slide. Every priest stands daily at his service, offering repeatedly the same sacrifices which can never take away sins. Remember how we talked about how there had to be sacrifices over and over and over again? They were meant to cover sin, but they never actually took away people's sin. It was a substitution, but it wasn't a fix. But when Christ had offered for all time a single sacrifice for sins, he sat down at the right hand of God. Now, if I sit down right now, am I working? Not really. I mean, if I was just out, you know, shoveling, digging, plowing, planting, whatever, and I sit down, I'm done. When Jesus sat down at the right hand of the Father, he was done. Remember when Jesus said on the cross, it is finished? He once for all made a sacrifice that paid the sins for you and me, and he finished it. No more sacrifices needed. No more temple offerings needed. Jesus said it's done. He, he made a once for all sacrifice. Okay, so next slide. So we're gonna take out the part about offerings. We don't need to make offerings anymore. Jesus 
came to be that one-time sacrifice. So if we trust Jesus as our once-for-all-time sacrifice, that is our means of relationship with him. Make sense? So next slide. Okay, so John 3. Let's just look at a little bit more about what this light is about and just see how we're doing with that. I'm sorry, I'm running a little bit late here. So next slide. Okay, this is kind of a pivotal passage for us because at this point we've seen all the things that God has done, how he created the temple system so that God could dwell among us. Jesus is the final sacrifice who takes away all of our sins. What next? Is that the end of the story? Do we all just get to relax because Jesus paid for our sins and we're done? There's more to it. This is the judgment. The light has come into the world and people love the darkness rather than the light because their works were evil. For everyone who does wicked things hates the light and does not come to the light lest his works should be exposed. But whoever does what is true comes to the light so that it may be clearly seen that his works have been carried out in God. So go to the next slide. Let's add this information to our summary because either you come to Jesus and you receive his forgiveness because you're willing to have your, your sin exposed or you say, wait a minute, I don't want my sin exposed. I'm not going to admit it to God. I'm not going to admit it to you guys. I'm okay. There's a, 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 a fork in the road at this point. Jesus says, come to the light or reject the light. But good luck with reject the light. That's not going to work for you. So we, we need to follow Jesus as they remain truthful in his light. Anybody remember that verse, 1 John 1, 9? If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to purify us from all unrighteousness. That's, that's what happens when you become a Christian. You confess your sins and you're forgiven. But as Christians, when we continue to follow Jesus, we continue to be clean, don't we? We continue to need our sins forgiven. So we come to Jesus and say, please forgive me. Please confess that, I confess that sin that uh, I committed yesterday and, or today or this morning or 10 seconds ago. And he forgives us. He cleanses us. He purifies us. So we keep walking in that light. We keep allowing the truth to be a part of our lives so that we are honest with God. So next. So really there is a fork in the road. This is kind of like that, that verse in Matthew that says, the way is broad that leads to destruction. The way is narrow that leads to life. It kind of applies here too. By God's grace, I pray that all of us would be willing to say, Jesus, I am a sinner. Jesus, I am stubborn. I am rebellious. I am, I am so much wanting to control my own life. But I'm going to turn to you. I'm going to allow your truth, your light to shine on me. I'm going to see myself for who I really am. And I'm going to repent. I'm going to confess to you and ask you to forgive me. That's the narrow road. The broad road is, is the road that most of us take. It's the road that says, I'm okay. I'm not, any, I'm not much worse than anybody else. I'm fulfilled. I'm doing what I like. I'll put, I'll put Jesus off. Maybe I won't reject him outright, but I'm not going to deal with that now. I'll, I'll deal with it later. Someday. Someday. That never works. 
If you don't come to Jesus now, your heart gets harder. Today, if you hear his voice, don't harden your heart. It says in Hebrews. So the sad truth is that the majority of the world is taking the broad road and hiding their sin. And it could even be among us. You know, we, we all want to believe that we're all great. We're all following Jesus. We're all on top of the mountaintop. We're all doing great. But I know I'm not doing great. I'm not a great follower of Jesus. I need to keep confessing my sin. The Bible says that we can quench the spirit of God and we can grieve the spirit of God. You know, when, when you receive Jesus as your savior, the Holy Spirit is dwelling in you. If I grieve the spirit, I'm sinning. I'm doing things that just hurt his heart because he wants my fellowship. He wants me to be with him. If I quench the spirit, I'm basically just saying, I don't want to hear you right now, Lord. I'm, I'm busy with my own agenda. So are any of you like me today where you have a tendency sometimes to say, God, I hear what you're saying, but I got, I'm busy right now. I got my own plans. I got my own agenda. I know what I want. God, please bless me, but let me hang on to my stuff. God, please bless me, but let me decide what I'm going to do next. Don't make me give up that idol. Don't make me throw away that thing that I love so much, that person, that power, that control, whatever it is. Jesus is basically saying to each one of us, come to me and receive me as your savior and then keep being truthful as you follow me. Keep, keep confessing your sin. Okay, next slide. So even today, even right now, Jesus is calling us to make a decision. He wants, us to, re he wants to rescue us. He wants to know us and lead us now and for eternity. So here's question number one. Do you know Jesus? It's easy for a lot of us to think we know Jesus because we know a lot about Jesus. You know, I can know a lot about something without really understanding it, without it really changing my life, being a part of who I am, being my, my joy, my identity. Jesus wants to be your identity. He wants to be your father. He wants to know you and love you and lead you and follow you forever, to be with you every moment of your life and be the one that says, follow me. And when he leads you, he follows you. He leads you into good places and you can follow. So today, what's holding you back? So let's think about these questions a little bit. Who is directing your life right now? Is it you or is it Jesus? And this is... Please don't feel bad about asking these questions because I, a lot of times, most of the time probably, I'm leading me. So don't be afraid to say, Jesus, I'm sorry, I'm, I'm trying to take control. Jesus, I want you to lead me. Maybe that's your prayer today. Are you disillusioned or dis distracted? I know I went through a period of time after seminary where I was just so down in the dumps. I felt like I had squandered my life and I had squandered a lot of my life. But God, doesn't, God hasn't rejected me. And God hasn't rejected you either. You might feel like he's far away. You might feel like he hasn't answered your prayers. But God answers in his way at his time, and it's always good. So don't be disillusioned. Don't be disheartened. Don't be discouraged. Turn back to him today. Okay, have you really chosen to receive and follow Jesus? That is the crux of everything. The cross is all about you and me coming to the Father through Jesus. Have you made that decision? If you haven't made it, make it today. 
And if you claim to be a follower of Jesus, are you enjoying his presence? That's always a clue whether we're really walking with the Lord. Are we enjoying his presence or is he just like a little corner of our life that we can pull out when we need it and then put it back and you know, access it later? Jesus is meant to be our permanent presence, our permanent joy, our permanent life. He wants to be with us and leading us and guiding us all times. And the way to do that is to keep confessing, to keep staying on good terms with him. So um, I'm gonna do something a little unusual here today. And this is just between you and the Lord. But if you, want, if you like me, if you just wanna say to the Lord, I give my heart back to you, Lord. I'm a Christian, and I, I've said many times that I'm a follower of you, but there's a new year coming, and I have to admit that I haven't been following you the way you've called me to. I haven't let you be in my life, leading me, dwelling with me, guiding me. I want to come back to you, Lord. It's just, it's just as simple as that. So I'm going to raise my hand and say that's about me. And if you have the boldness, the courage, it, it doesn't take any boldness and courage. Just let Jesus call you back into his presence. If you say that this morning, then raise your hand too. I'm not looking to count people's hands, but if you want to be that follower of Jesus too, that new follower of Jesus, let's do it. Amen. And if you've never followed Jesus, if you have yet to make that decision to be a follower of him, then I'd invite you to raise your hand too. It's a great thing to publicly say that, yes, I believe in Jesus. He's my Savior. He's my Lord. You're not ashamed of him. You want him to be your Lord, your Savior. So raise your hand too, in Jesus' name. Let's pray.